3-2. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an honor to be speaking to this human being right here. He's not only a doctor, he's a director, he's a producer, he's a writer, he's a father, he's a husband, he's a son. Yes. Uh, the great Dr. Tyrone Dixon. Uh, many of you would know him for I got to say, Row Bounce, yes. the Bow Wow movie where you were a producer. Uh, so I definitely got to get you to go back a little bit uh, and we'll talk about that. Because there's, talking to you, there's so much we can talk about. We can just talk about movies, the art of it. Uh, we could talk about what's going on with parents and right. things that you want to do. And I know you don't want to talk too much about that that's coming, but you're always working on something interesting as well. Uh, but let's go back. Who is Dr. Dixon? Where is he from? How did he get into movies, oh, et cetera? Wow. Um, so born and raised Houston, Texas. Yes, sir. Um, uh, CUNY Holmes. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Didn't I, know that. My first four or five years of my life was in the CUNY Holmes. Oh, you're a third war for third real. War baby. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember when... Yeah, I used to ride my bicycle down home in Sampson and all that kind of stuff to go to Frenchie's and pick up a po' boy sandwich for me and my mama and ride back. And that was the time when I could go to the store and actually buy cigarettes from my mom. Absolutely. You remember? Yeah, that was dope. You could, we could buy liquor back in yeah. those days, too. Yeah. Yeah. Different um, time. Um, so, what you want me to do? Put this right here? You could, oh, yeah, yeah, you, 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 you good. Like yeah, you should be all right. No, just put it to... Just talk to the side, like that. Yeah, is that okay? The, the, the ways we're doing. Yeah, we got good audio. Okay, we still got good audio. Um, so yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm a Houstonian through and through. Um, I moved around a bit. I went to five different high schools. Did okay. Um, Where were they? I started at Willow Ridge. The Ridge, and okay. then I went to St. Thomas, play ball, play baseball. Football. Were you good? I was good. I was quarterback. We were state champions. Okay, uh, all right. 83, 84. And then uh, it was all boys' schools, challenging, all that good stuff. And so my senior year, uh, I transferred to Barbara Jordan mm. and played football for Wheatley. And I did that for six weeks. Uh, <laughs> six and then uh, my I was not having a good time at Barbara Jordan. I was not doing what I was supposed to do. The principal, Dr. Cole, knew my father. Um, and called my father and said, your son is a great student, but there's too many girls here <laughs> for him, and he is r out of control. You got to do something. So you jo You're joking with I'm me. I'm not joking wow. with you. Wow. So my dad came and picked me up from the, my mom's house, um, and I went with him and enrolled in Jack Yates. And so... I spent my senior year at Jack Yates. Now, I was going to play baseball there. Uh, it was a different climate. Um, I was going to play football. But, you know, in 85, they were state champions. They had a squad. I couldn't even walk on that team. That's right. It was I, So I just became a fan. And so, you know, so I was able to. Mary Waits was over there in the school. They had a communications yes, department sir. there. And I started doing that. I did theater uh, at Yates. And that kind of really got me to really connect with my dream that I've always had since I was about 10 years old, which is to work in the movie business. Mm -hmm. I was, was the last key kid, television babysat me, and I watched a lot of movies. And around 10, 11 years old, I got curious, and I wanted to know, 
you know how the credits roll up at the end and I would see it say Foley or script supervisor or best boy grip and and I would want to know what those things were hmm. and there was no way to find it they would go to the library couldn't find it my parents didn't know nothing about it nobody no one around me could actually help me hmm. so I carried that thing around with me my auntie Gwen uh, loves photography for all my life she's always had a camera I mean she's just all my life she went from Polaroid cameras to steel cameras to video cameras and and so when I got to high school I started messing around with her and her cameras mm-hmm. and really trying to figure out how to tell a story and it was when I got to college that made the difference um, and I enrolled at Texas State University in School of Communication and I had an opportunity to start practicing what I thought is what I wanted to do with the rest of my life okay um, so I've always known that this is what I wanted to do, but not knowing how to get into it uh, was the big deal. Uh, it wasn't until I became a student at TSU that all of those doors kind of opened up for me to understand exactly how I can make it happen. Yeah. And so I did my thing here. And the day I graduated in 1994, May 14th, my father's birthday, I drove a 1978 Eldorado Baritz. <laughs> Candy apple red, okay. sunroof top. Okay, okay. Um, you was driving nice. I was driving nice. My daddy <laughs> sold the car to me. It was his car. He sold it to me. Uh, and I drove that to to Los Angeles. And I've been there ever since. You went to school there as well? Be- or was No, it I did. I, you know, once I graduated from TSU, I moved to Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. I got accepted to law school at TSU. And I said I was just going to spend a summer in L.A. Okay. And... I wanted to get some experience and work on some things. And so I'd worked on a movie called Jason's Lyric while I was really, yes. So this is a small one. Cause you know, I have a, a, a little, uh, I do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is interesting. Keep, keep going. So S- the world is getting smaller. Ladies. Uh, yes, and wow. Yes. So what did you, what did you do on this? So movie? I, so I started off as an intern working in the art department. Gotcha. So before the cameras, before the crew got to a location, I would be at that location working to get this location set up and dress properly yes, and all this other kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I did that for maybe two or three weeks on the film, and I, they weren't paying me. I just, I just loved it. And then there was this dude named Charles Scafey. He was the on-set dresser. And what his job? And what was, does? It, okay, I was going to ask. What is an on-set dresser, dresser is a person who works with the script supervisor and the prop master on setting up the shot to make sure that um, uh, continuity is in place. Right. So it makes we, sense in the scheme of yeah, the movie and the order that that's it goes right. In. So if we have a table of stuff and then there's a fight and they fall on the table and all of the stuff falls off of the table. You gotta make sure everything gets right back sure in the same back. place. Yes, sir. So we can take do take two. Mm-hmm. And so I told the production designer that I really wanted to work on the set, that my goal was to be a producer, a director, and if he could find it in his heart to allow me to work on the set, um, that I would be greatly appreciated, right? And so he said, yeah, cool. You go work with Charles. And Charles trained me up. And before I knew it, he would be sitting in the back, and I'm working as the set dresser. <laughs> so one night we were in the Heights shooting the exterior scene where Bo Keem comes in with two guns, mm. and he shoots the guys up front, and he's going, we're getting ready to shoot that scene. He's already shot them, so 
the actors are playing dead and da 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 da. And we've set the scene up. And we get ready to shoot. And roll sound. Roll camera. And I say, stop. And then everybody looked at me just like you're looking at me right now. Yeah, because this is turned. I'm a protocol like, guy, and this is totally this out of protocol totally, what you do. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, but is that water bottle in the windowsill supposed to be there? And the cameraman looked through the lens. <laughs> uh, the directors were looking at the monitors. No one saw it. Wow. None of the other professionals that were there saw that water, water bottle there. Which seems like it doesn't. it's not a big deal. When you're watching a movie, it is. It's a huge deal. Huge deal. Because if they shot that scene with that water bottle there, and that was the take that they wanted to use, they was going to have to do some really extreme stuff to remove that water bottle out of the shot. Absolutely. Or just leave it. And then what happens? Well, somebody sees it and he goes, ah, uh, you know. So um, at that moment, the line producer became my mentor, Dwight Williams, walked up to me. He says, good call, son. It was gutsy, but good call. <laughs> Thank you. And here's some start paperwork. Now, mind you, I was still working as an intern, not getting paid. And what is start paperwork? That's the, your I-9 and your, your W-2, you know, the paperwork to get Oh, hired. so you can get some money. So, so I can get, get paid. paid. And so now I was getting paid $75 a day. So that literally Because your gutsy call. Because of my gutsy call. It's at four o'clock in the morning. Wow. Is when this happened. And that was the moment I knew I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> it was it was done. <laughs> and so when I drove to California, I already had they have like a crew list of the people who worked on the film and I, I kept in contact with them. Uh, Mario Van Peebles had come to TSU to speak, and because I was that guy, they let me host him that weekend. Wow. His partner, uh Brent uh uh Brent Schaefer. Um, he and I hit it off. And so I stayed in contact with Brent. Mm -hmm. And I said, Brent, I'm moving to California for the summer. And he was like, yo, why don't you come work on on Panther with us? I was like, Panther? What? He said, yeah, Mario. This sounds unreal. With Melvin Van Peebles. Some people got all the luck, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when I drove there, my first gig, and it was, again, an internship. Uh, working on the movie Panther. So I worked in the front office, answering phones, filing stuff away. These some big moves, though. This is not sound, This to me, this is not regular, but maybe I don't know a lot about movies. Maybe this is how it goes for most people. I don't it know. It doesn't happen like okay, that for I just most want, people. Okay. Um, what know, a two great moves. It was, it was, it was, right? Timing was everything. Absolutely. Right? But being bold about it and wanting to make it happen, I drove with $1,000 in my pocket. When I got to L.A., my uh, water pump went out on the car. I had to spend $500 to fix the car. Now I only got $500. And my auntie had a group home. She had multiple group homes, and one of them was off 108th and Prairie. That's in Inglewood. In Inglewood. <laughs> and in this group home were boys who were awarded to the state, and mm. all of them were in gangs. Mm. so these are bloods where I was and so I had the night shift I would sleep from 7pm to 7am and then I would go work on the movie mm. but I couldn't sleep there because these guys were jumping out of windows and I was having to call the police and I did that for a month Monty uh, bless her heart <laughs> she wrote me a check and I went to the bank to cash that check and it it bounced <laughs> Sixteen hundred dollars. 
So I had to go get that money from her. But lo and behold, working on Panther for four weeks as an intern, um, the producer, uh, Preston Holmes, his sister, Patricia Holmes, was an accountant on the film. And she loved the way I handled the front office. And she was like, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a producer. And then I think I want to direct. She says, you want to be a producer, you need to come up to the accounting office and work. I said, well, I would love to. So she stole me from the production coordinator and brought me up to the accounting department. Wow. So I started filing things and I started learning everything about how movies get made and who gets paid what and why and blah, blah, contracts, actors. I was getting all of this information. We were now having to shoot in Oakland, right? We had to shoot like seven days or so in Oakland. They're there in Oakland for a few days. They run out of cash. They the movie. The movie, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, they need cash. They're petty cash. They didn't have any cash. Production manager was out. We were shooting in neighborhoods where we would have to pay people off. To so get, you can shoot there. So you can shoot there. Because you're in game uh, territory. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, it was in the hood, baby. It was like, you know, <laughs> we're making a movie about Black Panther Party. It was crazy. So, um, so anyway, I, I was having a good time in the accounting department, and it was really cool. But one day, after three days of being in Oakland, they called and said, we need $35,000 so that we can pay these people off. And we need wow. it now. So this is this is what you call this is the street fee. Yeah. The street. <laughs> so they said, well, Tyrone, uh, we need to take you to the bank. We're going to get $35,000. We're going to put it in a bag. Do you have a duffel bag? I had an Astros duffel bag in my car. <laughs> this sounds crazy. I go get the Astros duffel bag. They take me to the bank, put that cash in that bag, take me to the airport, right? Mm-hmm. Buy me a ticket to get on a plane to Oakland. When I get off the plane in Oakland, now I'm riding with $35,000 cash. And I, you know, I don't know all of the rules or whatever, <laughs> but they just pushing me out there to go do this thing. And so when I get there, the production manager, Brent Owens, is there. He picks me up in the car. I give him the cash. He gives me start paperwork, right, and a receipt book. He said, for every cash I give out, I need to keep a receipt for it, okay? Mm. And here, so we can start getting paid. So I went from $75 a day on that other flick, right? Now I'm making $500 a week. And I'm excited. I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm on the crew now. I'm on so now, because I'm working with the production manager, I'm on set. I'm standing right behind the director, Mario. You know, I'm looking in the monitor. I'm having access. Be clear, you're standing behind Mario. Van Peebles. Yes, sir. Um, and behind Melvin Van Peebles, because they were there sitting next to each other every shot of the film. Because mm. Melvin was a producer. He was the one that really got it. And so that was an opportunity for me. So we get back, I fly back, and now I'm working in the accounting department. Continue. Now I'm an accountant now. Uh, <laughs> and we're moving into post-production. So they keep me on for post, and I'm working in the accounting department. Down the street on Sunset Boulevard, there's this movie called Lord of Illusion being made. Um, um, and the line producer, Daniel Lupe, called Preston Holmes. And he's a British guy, Daniel Lupe. He says, Preston, I know you just finished making your film. Uh, we're getting ready to start our film. And I realized, I looked at my crew, I don't have no black people on my set. Wow. I've got five positions open, 
and I want to fill them with black people. Mm. And one of them was in the accounting department. So you know, <laughs> they recommended me to go down. I'd never done any study accounting in school or whatever. Right, you right. can learn how to do this. So I go, I do the interview. I get the, get the gig. Start paperwork comes out again. Now I go from $500 a week to $900 a week. I haven't been in L.A. six months. <laughs> right? Now Make I'm working on a movie that the director of Hellraiser, right? You yes. know, he's directing this film and um, with Scott Bakula and, and it was just out of control. And, and so there was a three people accounting department and my job was to manage the petty cash and, and to do um, non-union payroll. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn how to do that. It's simple math and blah, blah, blah. Somebody would, would give someone $1,500, petty cash, they had to bring back $1,500 receipts. I would have to check those receipts, make sure they were real. And if they were, I'd give them another $1,500 to go out and do whatever they needed to do and maintain their space in the budget. Yes, sir. Um, I went through a million dollars, petty cash. Yes, yourself. Me. Wow. I managed the million dollars out of that safe and didn't lose a dime. Did not lose a dime. And that was a big deal. And I'll never forget, and this is going to, you know, you're just going to really trip you out. So I I got real nervous when I was handling all that money. Now, you don't know this about me, um, and I'm not afraid to talk about it, but I had a, an addiction to crack at one point. I did not know that. And I spent a year trying to get myself together. Mm-hmm. Right? I went to rehab, Rusk State Hospital, and did all that kind of stuff. That was just before I went back to TSU. Wow. Right? So anyway, I have to tell the lady. I tell my boss, Betsy Danbury, I used to be a crackhead, and I stole from my mother, stole from my auntie. I hadn't been in some bad situations. And I'm only telling you this because I don't want to be blamed for money coming up missing. I'm reformed. I actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually a sponsor for other addicts today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been clean this many years, blah, blah, blah. And um, I drove home that night thinking, did I just blow it? And the next day, the third person leaves, and it's just me and the, the accountant, Betsy. She says, Tyrone, I really want to thank you for sharing with me, um, and I need your help. My brother is suffering from crack addiction. Wow. And so then I became this conduit between her and her brother and her parents. And it just built this relationship. Right? Right. And so that's how it all started. And then that movie got done and it was post production. And then uh, Daniel Lupe was moving on to a new film. And he said, Tyrone, you want to go meet me on the next film I'm working on? I said, sure. And so then I became a first assistant accountant. Now I went from $900 a week to $1,500 a week. And I worked on Paul Thomas Anderson's first film called Heart Eight. Me and Sam Jackson were the only two black people on the film. We shot this in Reno, Nevada. Prior to doing that, Preston said to me, Tyron, I think you should apply to the American Film Institute. I'd heard of this school. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, I went to TSU. I was kind of, nah, I was second guessing what I'd done. And then he said, just apply anyway. I said, if I apply to the school and I get in, I'm going to stay here and go to film school. If I don't, I'm leaving. I'm going to go to law school, study entertainment law, come back. 
I applied, gave everything I had. And while I was in Reno working on that film, I got a phone call from the president of AFI asking me if I still wanted to be a student there and why they should allow me to be there and what was I doing. And he was just, I said, I'm in, I'm in uh, Reno working on a movie. So what are you doing? I said, I'm the first assistant accountant and I'm managing the budget and doing all that kind of stuff. Said, Do you really want to be a producer? I said, yes, that's all I want to do. And he says, okay, and he hung the phone up. So I didn't know whether that was like <laughs> you in, in yeah. or out. Or, and two weeks later, I got a letter, and I was wow. in. And I and when I got to school, people were all talking about how many times that they applied to get into the school. And when they came around, Tyrone, how many times did you? I said once. They were all shocked. I, I said, well, I strategically, you know, I was an accountant. I'm already working right. in the movie business, and it was just easier. You know, I was a no brainer to mm-hmm. them, you know, and then obviously I'm black, you know, that, that helped out a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while I was doing that at, at doing the producing thing, that's when the directing thing came in. So I started directing in film school, um, at AFI and started doing music videos and, and you know, that led to what, was there any big music videos that we might be aware of? Um, I, when I started doing music videos, I started working with independent artists mm-hmm. and they were the ones I had access to right. and, um, you know, they, uh, you know, they could afford me and I, you know, it worked out. One of the biggest, uh, music videos I did with, uh, an artist was with, with, um, Bon B and, um, uh, what's the cat, uh, um, he's from the Hot Boys, um, Juvie? Juvie. Man. Juvie and Bumby did a song called Gold Mouth, about gold teeth in the mouth. And there was mm-hmm. his brothers from Dallas got these guys in their video. And um, they wanted Dr. Teeth to do the video, but Dr. Teeth was busy. <laughs> <laughs> Who also teaches at TSU now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, so and, these TSU alumni were battling each other for... <laughs> For videos, <laughs> did y'all know each other real quick? Oh yeah. Oh, so y'all, yeah, he was. They were. Did y'all both have the same dream at the same time and knew about it, or I, when you we were just met, both on y'all we, own we trajectory? Issue. He was. A, he was when I was. He was an underclassman. So when I was a senior, he was a sophomore. Gotcha. And I was running around here doing all types of things. They were all like uh, following me and wanting to do what I did, and um, I was taking cameras out of the studio. Um, <laughs> I, I gave the title of my car. So I could take cameras out that would never go out, wow. and if I, you know, I bought batteries for the cameras, and so that I could take them out mm-hmm. and left the camera so other students could take them out. And John Tucker, Doctor Teeth, was one of those. Uh, him and um, uh, uh, McBain, they were Cliff McBain. They were the ones who benefited from that energy that I had. Mm-hmm. You know, me being uh, skip the whole fact that I spent four years in the military as an air traffic controller. I brought all that Did energy you? to the classroom. Yes. You've done a I, I don't know any of these things. <laughs> yeah. How did you find time? <laughs> excuse me. This is going to sound crazy. Go to TSU, become a crackhead, be in the military, go to the West Coast, start in the movie industry, end up making movies, directing and being a producer. This don't even sound like a real story. This is crazy. Yeah, my my students who you know I share a lot with, they always say, "Man, your story is amazing. You should, it you is. should make a movie." How long were yourself. you in the military? Four years. That's this how I crazy. got addicted to cocaine. 
Wow. I left the military an addict. Was it what the stuff that you had to do in the military got to you or just other people? This is things that would be happening. I was a young young sailor and I was around old salty sailors that traveled. He's salty. Oh, yeah. The salty dogs. Um, (laughs) And they had privilege. Mm. And so I was a young pup hanging out with them and I would be doing things with them. And then I was 18, 19 years old. Wow. And so, you know, I, I had a I would not change a thing. I enjoyed also being in the veteran. Navy. Served the country. And Salute. and I enjoyed that and would do it again. Yes, sir. Um, without, without the cocaine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, but I brought all that energy, you know, to TSU as a student. And I knew what I wanted to do. And Can I, can I circle back to something? How hard was it for you to get off your drug addiction? I just have I have to ask that question because it's not, and in, in my opinion, and I don't know that much because I don't I've never done any any of those. I, I was always frightened that I would become addicted and yeah. the, my demise was would be obvious. How do you was something happening that made you say, "Oh, this is crazy. I got to get off of this," or was it a family member or a friend that says, "We we got to we got to get this guy clean"? Well, I was what I was doing was I was smoking what we call primos, is weed laced with crack right and it, it took you know it was, we were having fun we were young people I had no idea I was becoming addicted mm. it, it didn't dawn on me until I got out of the Navy that when I got home I worked to buy crack and I did that for about a year a year coming out of the military wow. I worked in restaurants I I you know just to feed my addiction I did all that I could do and I started stealing from my mom and um, I'll never forget my mom said to me "Um, you steal from me again I'll kill you Mm. so in order to keep that from happening I'm going to keep my eye on you for the next five days right I didn't know what she was doing but she was calling everybody, everybody she knew, um, to get me in Rusk State. They had a, a waiting list, and my mom was like, "We can't wait. This boy is gonna either, I'm gonna kill him. He's gonna put himself in a situation, and somebody's gonna hurt him." And on my way, she was driving me to the McGregor Mental Health Space right there, midnight. Wow. Got into a white van with a bunch of other people who were suffering, um, and. We drove to Rust State House Hospital in the middle of the night. And when I woke up the next morning in this space, I realized, wow, I have the ability to not be here. Most people there were mentally ill and they had to be there. They didn't have any choices. Right. So those of us who was in the substance abuse unit, you know, we we are walking around with people who cannot change their situation. I was in that space for 60 days and they would say, um, only one of you is going to stay clean and sober a year. And I promised. I said, that's going to be me. Mm. I'm not coming back to this place. I'm never, you know, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I got close to God. I did my 60 days. I got on a Friday and on a Monday morning, I was enrolled at TSU. Gee whiz. Three years later. Your life does not sound real. <laughs> <laughs> It, uh, the the movie was never Road Bounce, my friend. The movie was you. 
This does not sound, this sounds crazy to me, man. And I don't really get to talk about this stuff much, but yeah, you know, I share with my students along the way to give them some ideas about, you know, if I can do it, you can do it. Because truly, let me, let me, since we're on the drug, how do you fight the urge? Because once it's there, my opinion is that it's always bubbling. You could get stressed out. You might want to celebrate. It could be any kind of trigger. What what is it that makes you fight inside and say, I, I, I just can't allow that to ever happen again? I, I think it's, you know, when I came home from rehab, I couldn't stay with my parents. I didn't have a key to the house. Mm. You know, I was they didn't care that I had gone to rehab and gotten out. They would just thought I would do it again. So it was to demonstrate to them that they can trust me again. So that's that was my driving force was to get my parents to trust me or my family to trust me again. And so that allowed me to focus and be selfish about what it was that I was doing and how I wanted to do it. And that's why I came to TSU. I got two degrees in one year. I mean, in three years, I have a degree in aviation, airway science management. The aviation program was just beginning. And because I'd gotten all of these hours of being an air traffic controller in the Navy, I could minor in airway science management and major in telecommunications. So when I left, I had enough hours to get a degree at Embry-Riddle Aeronautic University, mm-hmm. and I'd walk the TSU. I really didn't think about the, uh, the aviation stuff, but I was just doing it to keep busy and to utilize what I had. Um, Why do I think you have a psychology major then? Well, I went back to school after 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 <laughs> film school. Um, I started working in the business a lot and working on movies and doing a whole lot of different things. And uh, Roe Bounce happened, and that kind of changed everything for me. Uh, in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, we had a writer's strike, and it lasted almost a year. And that just shook everything up in the industry, mm-hmm. right? So I had to regroup and think about when I go back into the game. How do I want to be different? And that's when I found the media psychology program at Fielding Graduate University. And so I had to get a master's degree in, um, I have an MFA from AFI, but I had to get a master's degree in psychology first. And then I uh, specialized in media psychology. Brother, you must be super, super brainiac, dog. I'm listening to all this. You just spitting it out like everybody So I got this degree, aviation, da da da. I could have went to law school. By the way, psychology. This yeah. is this does not sound real, and it's it's amazing because I don't know why I don't know all of this story. Every time I see you, I see you roll bounce and roller skaters. Yeah, and my brain stays there. This other part. And this is exactly why I do this podcast because you know people, but you don't know them at all. That's and. And you start talking to him. You're like, what? You did crack? What? <laughs> you graduated from TSU? You did what? You just drove there? You So you behind Mario. Van P- what? Yeah. This is crazy. It this was is a crazy ride. Me. It was surreal for me, too. Even when I was told to apply to AFI, I was working on a music video. And I worked on some big music videos. Now, me directing them, I, I directed, you know, uh, independent artists and help them get their right. careers off the ground. Mm-hmm. But I worked on a lot of Snoop Dogg, uh, 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 um, uh, Death Row stuff, mm-hmm. um, and 
you know, I had access. People working on movies were doing music videos on the weekend, so I would go do that. And so I got a job as a transportation coordinator on one music video, and I had to drive to Glendale to take the van back, take the van back, pick up my car. And it just so happens I drove right past the American Film Institute. I'm just driving. Oh, there it is right there. I said, I'm going to stop by when I come back. I came back. I walked the halls. And the whole time I was walking those halls, and I, 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 I promise you, I'm telling you what was real. I got chills. Mm. The whole time I was walking in this place. And it's summertime and I'm there, but I'm getting chills walking down the halls. Because I felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. And it just felt right. So I can't remember all of the things that I submitted. Because I, at one point when I was in film school after working on the uh, the, the movie with, um, prior to working on that film, I got an internship with the Houston Astros. Hence, that's how I had that Astros bag in my car. When <laughs> this is Greg McClain bought the team, I worked with them and mm-hmm. Jeff Bagwell and mm-hmm. BGO and all of that. So I worked with them for six months. And I did a video with Milo Hamilton. I taught people how to take score. That's where I really started being a director and directing Milo Hamilton and directing Biggio and the Astros gave me everything I needed. And it was a paid internship, too. So I think all of that kind of helped me, you know, get the gig um, on uh, the, the, you know, Jason's Lyric and then. You know, so it was Astros, Jason's Lyric, and then Panther, and then Lord of Illusions, and then it was Heart 8, then AFI, right? And in mm-hmm. the middle of all of that, I'm directing music videos and just trying to get my thing together. It all, it's surreal. I mean, it feels like when I'm reflecting on it now, like, because I still haven't gotten to where I ultimately want to be. Uh, but people are always looking at me, man, your career's. You've had how are you balancing? How, how are you balancing family with all this? Because I know that you know you have kids and the whole now. I would take my my baby girl Cameron. She was born uh, my second year at AFI, and at AFI you get accepted your first year. It's not a guarantee that you're going to come back the second year to get your MFA. Wow! I had to reapply the MFA. That that is what so uh, for those uh, masters of fine art. Gotcha. Um, and so. My second year, I opted to write a screenplay and work one-on-one with a producer. Um, and, and that's what I did. But I would have to take my daughter to school with me. She six months old, you know, wow. three months old. You know, I, I would take her to school with me. And, that you know, I've taken my kids to many meetings. <laughs> with Sony, you know, and sometimes it helps out, you know, it was, it was that kind of situation. Yeah. But but um, it was tough for my first wife. Mm. It, it was a challenge because I would leave at nine in the morning and not come home to nine o'clock at night. Um, and that would be every day. Um, I, I would read a ton of screenplays because because once I got out of film school, I got an opportunity to work with Deaf Pictures. Russell Simmons. Okay. And they made Gridlock. How did, how did not, did, how'd you fall into that? Well, when I worked on Panther, I became tight with the producer, Preston Holmes. Mm-hmm. He then became my mentor, him and his sister. Um, I just stuck with him and Dwight Williams, right? I just hung out with him a ton. And, you know, you need a sponsor in this business. You got to have somebody that believes in you. Absolutely. And to give you a shot. That's all businesses, in my opinion. And that's how it all happened. It was me building relationships with people who believed in me. Mm. 
and um, and that's what got me to that space of of having the opportunity to work with Preston because Preston was the president of Deaf Pictures. Um, and I was doing my thing and he didn't know if I wanted to be in development or if I was really out there trying to get my directing thing on. I wanted to work in every aspect of the business. Because? Because I wanted to be my own boss at some point. Right now I have Daikage out of films. I have a slate of projects that I'm working on. Um, I've learned how to raise money. I wanted to be in that position so that I'm able to direct and produce the things that I want to do. Uh, versus me being hired as a uh, you know freelance person, um, I enjoyed making movies with other people, but I enjoyed making them for myself even more. Absolutely. And so I wanted to know everything about the film business, and so working in development was the other side of it. I was working in production. Now this is what happens before you get a movie greenlit, mm-hmm. right? You got to read screenplays. You've got to attach talent. You've got to develop relationships with people around town. You got to know agents and all of that. And so two and a half years of Deaf Pictures gave me all of that. Um, I was able to get my reel together, get an agent. And uh, I'd met Debbie Allen at my graduation. Oh, let me just tell you this. The reason why... I chose to go to AFI and only to submit to AFI because I could have submitted to USC, UCLA. When I left here, I said, I'm going to find Debbie Allen. (laughs) Because she went to Yates. Uh, She's her and Felicia were out there doing their thing. Fame was my favorite movie. I just felt So you think because you got a Texas connection, if you get her. She's going to help you just because you went to Yates. You're from Third Ward. Exactly. (laughs) So on the day I graduated, we were outdoors. I mean, it's like in the movies, right? With graduation outside at AFI. And uh, 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 um, we had some amazing filmmakers there. This is historical. But Quincy Jones was getting his honorary PhD, uh, a doctorate, rather, from AFI. And... We didn't know this until graduation. So we're sitting in our, we, we march in and then we, and then they come marching in and I'm sitting there. I see Quincy go by and then I see Debbie Allen go by. I go, oh shit. Is, <laughs> <laughs> is this really happening? God, is you re- really? But her name was on the application as a board member. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to go to the school. I'm going to meet Debbie Allen. And then, so I first had to get in. I got in. Then I had to stay in. I stayed in. And so when it was time for me to walk across the stage to get my degree, I leaned over to Debbie and said, TSU and Jack Yates is in the house. And she lost her mind. She screamed. Everybody looked over and and we hugged. And she said, we're going to talk later. So I went down. And so afterwards. Good move. Good. <laughs> I, I, I would have done the same thing. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah you, I had to. I've done that to somebody before because they went to North Carolina A&T. Yeah. That was a celebrity side. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so she couldn't believe it. Right. And so afterwards, I'm with my baby. Quincy comes over and says, I have a baby that age and looks just like your baby. Let me hold your baby. And so now now when you say Quincy, you Quincy Jones, he just walks over to you. He just walks over to me, congratulates me on get my degree. I congratulate him. And then he takes the baby from me. And he's holding my baby. You haven't. You've never met Quincy. Never, never talked. Met Quincy before. My he life. don't know you. Don't know me. But he saw that baby and came over to me, and then Debbie came over, and and took the baby, 
and started, none of this sounds real and started talking to me <laughs> and and said we've got to exchange information right and so she gets pulled away i'm in the midst of my thing i gotta go use the restroom so i go use the restroom as i'm coming out of the restroom debbie allen is coming out of the restroom and so we have this one-on-one moment, walking up the steps, walking back to the crowd. And she asked me, what do you want to do? And I told her. And she says, we're going to exchange information, and I want you to stay in contact with me because I'm going to help you get to where you want to go. Wow. So now after this, I'm now working at Do this. you believe this when you hear it? Because I, people say fly stuff sometimes. You know? uh, I believed it. Okay. Okay. I believed it. Okay. She looked at me in my face and, and, and said what she was going to do. And then, so I would call her. I could never get her. Go to voicemail, or her assistant would answer, take a message. Could not get Debbie Allen for months. Right? So I am now working on a movie called How Stella Got a Groove Back. Uh, because Dwight Williams, the guy from uh, uh, the first project, He's the line producer on that. Now I'm in the game with I'm with him. And um she called me one day and said, I want you to just out of the blue. Now months have gone by. I said, oh, uh, she'll call me. I, I just I maintain faith. No, she's busy and doing a whole lot of stuff. I'm working on that movie. I'm on the set. My cell phone rings and it's Debbie Allen. Right? And I'm talking to Debbie, and I can't believe I'm talking to her because I don't even know how she got the number. Because <laughs> it's a set cell phone. It's not even my cell phone. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and she says, I have a project. I want you to uh, uh, set up a phone call with you and um, Amar Rashad. And he needs a senior producer for whatever show he's going I looked up what a senior producer did. I was like, I'm not going to get this job. But... I enjoyed having an hour-long conversation with Amar Rashad mm-hmm. um, as he looked at my resume and talked to me. He says, "You, I, I applaud your, you, you know, your, 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 your guts and all, but I need somebody with 20 years' experience, and <laughs> you know, maybe one day we'll get to work." And uh, but Debbie's always, you know, she's always going to look out for you, and that was cool, right? I was like, "Oh, Debbie, doing her thing." So more time goes by. I'm working at Deaf Pictures. I'm ready to leave Deaf Pictures. I got my reel together. I got an agent now. And I send her one of my reels. Right? I what do fo- you have on your reel real quick? What, what I, is- had the, I had the school projects that I had done at TSU. Mm-hmm. The Astros project that I did. Mm-hmm. And a couple of music videos that I had done. Yeah, the whole in all in yeah all in of them, in their entire yes. okay okay like gotcha. you know um, introduction of me and da, gotcha. da, da, da. because I'd worked on Boogie Nights with Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul mentions me in the DVD, and uh, so I took that piece and put <laughs> it in. So into, you know, so I sent it to Debbie. Maybe Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, I get a phone call from Debbie Allen. And she says, I got the perfect project. Meet me at, uh, 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 whatever, I forget the name of the, 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 the studio, right? I think it had something, I think it was DreamWorks or 
it was yeah and so yeah it was dreamworks and so i meet her there because mm-hmm. she's working she was at finished making that movie amistad yes so so she was her office was there dreamworks so i go there to meet with her and she says here's this book here's this project it's been greenlit already and i want you to produce it and i want you to be a director on this show the show is called cool women which is a docu-series profiling ordinary women doing extraordinary things. It was based on a book. The We Network was new, and we were one of the first shows to launch the network. Um, And to get the job, I had to do a TV budget. I had never done a TV budget. Mind you, I went to film school. I wanted to be a filmmaker. I almost kind of looked down on the TV thing. Oh, docu-series, I don't you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I worked with, uh, because I was at Deaf Pictures, I knew, you know, Stan Lathan. He hooked me up with a line producer guy, taught me how, showed me how to do the budget and uh, for this particular show, and I sent it back to her. Boom, I got the gig. And for two seasons, I produced and directed episodes of the show, which is a docu-series. So I was learning how to make documentaries. On the fly. On the fly. (laughs) I fell in love with it because it's storytelling. Mm-hmm. Three-act structure, you know, conflict, you know, resolution, transformation, it all the same stuff. But real people, ah, oh, I just fell in love. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to me making Eight Wheels and Some Soul Brother Music, which was a documentary about black people roller skating. I was roller skating at the time at World on Wheels while I was doing this TV show with Debbie Allen. And one, I just, but. Uh, so maybe I should take the camera and come over here and shoot this stuff because this seems like this is cool. And then I was seeing all of these people skating different uh, different styles. I'd never seen different styles of skating in one place before. And that's because L.A. is a transplant place. A lot of people from Ohio, Chicago, Detroit, you know, and they all have different skating styles. So initially the documentary started with me just talking to these people about their different skating styles. And, and uh, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she says, you got to do more than that. Why don't you travel around the country? I said, we can't do that. I don't. She said, I'll invest 20 grand. Wow. I got 20 grand. You got some money. Let's buy the equipment. You travel. And she, she did the believes research. in you. And that was the beginning of Eight Wheels and some Soul Brother music. And when we finished that film, we went to the Atlanta Skatathon. And I'll never forget this was so cool. I had the idea I'm going to show the movie to the skaters first. I finished the documentary, know whether I was going to make any money off this thing or not. By that time, we'd spent 80 grand. 80 grand. It's a lot. So go to the skatathon. I set it up so that we can, um, you know, have a room where people can come in and watch the movie for free. And we set up. I sent a thousand DVDs to Atlanta, and we sat a table, tablecloth, movie. They go in. They come out after the film. $20. We sold a thousand DVDs wow. at $20 a pop one weekend. So we had to get on a plane with 20 grand cash. <laughs> we were throwing $20 bills underneath the table. My wife was like, is this what it feels like to be a drug dealer? With the 20s. Yes. Oh, 20s. <laughs> they was a, but people love the film. And then. I started selling them out the trunk. So we started just sending DVDs out. People would send us checks. We send DVDs. Um, then I got a distribution deal. Mm-hmm. And an international distribution deal. And so 
And then I took it to 20th Century Fox. Bob Title and George Stillman pitched the idea about making a feature film about roller skating. And then we found Rule Bounce. They found that screenplay. Mm-hmm. And that's how all of that happened. Wow. Right? Um, and it was, you know, talking to you about this right now, it just, it, it even, um, it trips me out. I don't normally do this, so I'm not even really thinking about what I've done mm-hmm. because the industry is about what have you done for me lately. So mm. I'm looking at doing all these other documentaries, the documentary about Barbara Jordan and Barbara Jack and, and wow. Emory Douglas, who was, Emory Douglas the Minister of Culture for the Black Panther Party. He did all of the artwork, created the, the cartoons. and Wow, I never even thought about that. That, that they yeah. had. And he became a world-renowned artist about protest, you know, um, all around uh-huh. the world they know his art. They've used his art. You working on that now? I'm working on that now. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah. Interviewing him was amazing. If that was that's, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so okay, now how did they bring you into this whole Row Bounce movie? Because this is the movie for those that don't know. It had a uh, Bow Wow in it. With Bow Wow, Nick Cannon, Megan Good, Journey Smollett, Shy McBride. It's a pretty big movie. It was a pretty big movie. Yes, I mean for those you know. Pretty much superstars, yeah. Particularly at that time. At that time. So, how did they go about convincing you that, or did you have to convince them? How did that all work oh, out? Wow, work this, out? That's, this is an, another story. So, I pitched the idea to the people. They loved the idea, um, and they said, "Bring us back a screenplay." And I went out and hired a writer, and we started writing. But I was taking Eight Wheels and some sort of other music on the festival circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran into Bob Title at the African, uh, um, uh, it was, I forget the name of the festival, but it was in, in L.A. Bob Title is who about it? For Bob Title is a producer for um, State Street Pictures. Okay. And Bob Title and George Tillman are partners. You know, okay. they made all of the barbershop movies. And, okay. um, you know, uh, uh, the big one they made uh, was... You know, the family uh, dinner. What was the name of that movie? Gosh, dang it. Soul Food. I'm sorry, guys. Soul Food. So, you got a lot of, there's a lot in there, yeah, man. So, yeah, yeah. That, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. So, so um, they were the guys. So, let me back up real quick. So, Charles King. I don't know if you know who Charles King is. I love this brother. Charles King uh, was an agent. Mm-hmm. William Morrison. And now it's called William Morris Endeavor. He's the first black agent to become a partner of a major agency in the history of Hollywood. Wow. That's the movie right there, by the way. That's the movie. He's a cold-blooded dude. Um, And while at William Morris, he was seeing projects that weren't getting made. He's the guy that brought Tyler Perry to the scene. He's from Atlanta. Mm. He was seeing them tapes that Tyler Perry was making. He brought them to William Morris and met with Tyler, and they met with Lionsgate, and history was made. Wow. And so... Charles, it's always somebody that got to believe in you. You got to have that. So Charles had been knowing me since Deaf Pictures. When I was at Deaf Pictures, he was in the in the mail room at William Morris, and so we would be at these events. He was a brother, always wore a suit. I was always enamored by this guy because he was always there. It's on. I was like, how you even get here? <laughs> uh, but eventually, he became this 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 maverick, right? And um, he left William Morris Endeavor and started a company called Macro. Mm-hmm. Macro made the movie um, um, Fences, Mudbound, 
um, and uh, uh, the movie about the Black Panther, uh, uh, Judas and the Priest. Wow! Yeah, Messiah, the Judas, yeah, yeah. Judas, and and all of those movies nominated for an Academy Award. Mm-hmm. But prior to him getting there, he was at William Morris. I knew him, and I said I called over. I said, "This is Tyrone Dixon and Preston Holmes. We want to have a meeting with you." And he said, "Cool." I go, I pitch him the idea about a roller skating movie first. And he said, I know the perfect people for you to go. So he set up the meeting with Bob and George. And that's how that happened. So while my movie was in the festival market, um, I ran into Bob title at film festival, Pan-African film festival in LA. And he saw my poster and all I saw him looking at my poster and, and I was like, yo, what's happening? He's like, yo, what's happening with that screenplay? I said, we're working on it. It's coming together. And he's like, yo, I think we may have found something. Let's have a meeting. So I get called in and to have a meeting with Bob and George. I get to their office on Fox's lot. We have nice offices. <laughs> and I come in. I go, hi, Tyrone. And, you know, I'm meeting with Bob. And I say, oh, it's a pleasure to meet you. And everybody was showing me all this love. I was like, wow, this is interesting. So, but as I'm walking through, I'm noticing something. A DVD with a white top on it. It says 20th Century Fox. And it says Eight Wheels of Some Soul Brother Music. Boy, don't you know I got hot. Because mm. I was looking at every desk. On every desk, my movie was there. So they legally copied <laughs> my movie and had their name on it. What? Century. Oh, my goodness. So I have this meeting. They say, look, we want to work with you on this film. We need your help. Uh, we've got Malcolm Lee directing it. And I love Malcolm. And um, he wants to meet you. Right? I come to find out that they were going to try to make this movie without me. They were actually going to use my film as reference material to go out and make the movie. Wow. When when Malcolm saw the documentary and heard that they had not reached out to me, he was pissed. So he reached out to me and said, I don't know shit about roller skating. I know as a kid, but obviously you know this world. I can't make the movie without you. And that's how I became a producer on the movie. Wow. First, Hollywood is dirty, yeah. but I'm glad the brother came through. Brothers came through. Brother Bob came and through. George, we've, you know, I'll never forget at the end of the day, I started off as the assistant to the director, mm-hmm. right? I drove him around every day, and before you know it, they were like, everybody said, this is Tyrone's movie. You know, even though Norman Vance wrote the screenplay, everything, the way the movie looks, the way it feels, everything, the skaters, all came from my documentary. Really? Wow. So it was... It was your movie. It was my movie. Essentially. Lightning in the bottle, getting all these people there and making it happen. But when they saw my value, you know, I was operating camera. The DP would say, you operate C camera. Now, as a producer, are you supposed to be doing that? Because the producer, in my opinion, in Hollywood, and and just clarify for me, is you're there as just opinion giving. 
Or is producing more than that when it comes to movies? It's a little bit more than that. I mean, I think obviously in the in the first stages in the development, producers are putting out these ideas and you know getting it all locked in. And once the movie gets greenlit, a creative producer just basically is there to champion the project and right. see everybody. We need the line producers, the person that's actually managing the budget, managing the crew with doing the production the manager and doing all of the day to day stuff. So I have all that experience. Yes, but. I became a second unit director on the film. There would be scenes that needed to get shot. We were running out of time. So you had to go shoot it. I would go shoot it with another camera department yeah. and mm-hmm. Malcolm would be shooting the acting stuff. Mm-hmm. Bow Wow was skating and throwing the newspaper. You know, I'm I'm filming the newspaper hitting the water. I'm filming the newspaper <laughs> hitting the people and all of that kind right. of jazz. Um, and then when we shot skating, you know, I would push the camera on a skateboard long stick attached to the skateboard and I would skate with it. Uh, we had another camera guy um, um, who I loved. He could skate too. And so he would get the camera and then I would I would um, you know uh, stand behind him and skate behind him and make sure that he doesn't fall and I'm looking through the lens, not the lens but they have a monitor there mm-hmm. and I'm saying no to the left or to the right or you know get the skates now and because because Malcolm is far away in the in the video village so i'm kind of directing what the camera should be doing with the skates mm-hmm. and so i thank malcolm lee for giving me that room and the dp for trusting me with camera c and you know so when i no they didn't i didn't have to do any of that you know um but they wanted the movie to be as much mine as it was malcolm that's cool and so i was able to extend myself as much as I possibly could. Mm. Most of the music, we would get CDs from the music supervisor, and me and Malcolm would be in the car every day, and I would say, Malcolm, this is a roller skating song. That's not. Yeah, because yeah, because you have is, to know this. It's not just you can play any song and it works right. in a in a roller skating. That's room. right. It's particular music that it, you have to play. At the yeah, period, period. It was 1979, so yeah. we wanted to keep it within right. that range and. Uh, he didn't know, so I had to, and then I would take music and share it with the DJs I knew, and they would send back, uh, you know, other options for us. Wow. Um, and that was a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but even in post-production, once we finished shooting the film, Malcolm was editing it in New York. He lives in New York. And so they had to do sound design, sound mix, and Foley, and uh, ADR, and all that kind of stuff, right? So somebody had to go and direct that right so there were there were people in uh we would have a big recording studio and we have a bunch of people in there um acting like they were skating right uh whistling and cheering you know all of this back and i'm the one directing them through this wow and making sure it sounds right i go into the foley room that is this and explain it real briefly okay uh well so foley is putting foley is allowing you to put sound to replace sound uh, when you didn't get it right when you shot it. Gotcha. Right? So maybe we were recording the sound of the roller skates. You know, we were shooting skating and we would get the sound, but we really wanted to do a close-up shot on the skates. We really want to hear those skates. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would have to have skaters in a room. They have uh, microphones on the floor and they would just skate around and hockey stop and make all of these different sounds. Right? And then we placed them in the movie. Um, that was a part of the process that I had to do while Malcolm was in New York editing the story. Mm. And these pieces would get to him. So, Roe Bounce gave me the opportunity to do 
everything I could possibly do. And then once the finish, the movie was finished, they hired me to to help with uh, to be a consultant on marketing the film. Wow! They didn't do much of what I said, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know they were doing their very best to make sure movie did it movie did pretty did good. Okay yeah, in the box, in the box office. office. Yeah, it's, it's a classic. Okay. In, in, you yeah, know, it's a classic now. And but they wanted to be hit the box office, and that was going to be a big deal. But you know it did great. Yeah, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Absolutely. But um, you know, having from the Rudy to the Tootie. Yeah. Right. It was it was an experience that I will never forget. And having that experience made me say, oh, this is what I want to do from now on. I don't want to be I want to develop the show. I want to get it greenlit. I want to do all of those things. Mm-hmm. Right. And create opportunities for other people the way Malcolm Lee and Bob and George did for me mm-hmm. um, by just believing in the idea of a story about black people roller skating that that was even that was a great movie man if, if, if whoever's looking at this you stop here now go find out where Row Bounce is it should be on one of the 3,000 channels that we I now think it's have on Disney 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 Plus or it's on Disney, Disney is it on Disney it Plus okay well Disney bought 20th Century Fox so and they own the picture so they own the picture mm, gotcha. and so right now what I'm doing is a two part series on the making of Row Bounce so are I, you I shot 100 hours footage they allowed me so I hired a team of people to shoot. This is when the movie was being shot back in the day. Being shot, yes. So why'd you wait all this time to? Well, well. First off, it was going to be a second DVD to the DVD release of the film, mm-hmm. and that was the reason why they were allowing me to do it in the first place. The movie didn't hit number one at the box office like they expected it. So they just. And so we're not going to put any more money into it. But I own the footage. So I didn't know what, I got busy doing other things. Mm-hmm. And I just put those tapes away. And pandemic happened. And I didn't know what I was going to be doing with my time. Um, so I pulled those tapes out and started watching them. And uh, thank God, prior to that, I would bring those tapes here and have my students digitize them for me. Wow. And so... I really just pulled out a drive and you could watch and, it and I watched and I hadn't watched this stuff in 10 years or so and I wasn't even watching when they were digitized and I was doing other things just to make sure this gets digitized and man I said oh he, I was right there's a story here and then as I started making it editing it um, I said oh, I have two there's too much to just tell in one story so I have two one hour and 10 minute documentaries is art they already done the second one is um three quarters away done with the second one okay um and um uh first of the year it should be ready and i'm thinking february black history month maybe it comes out no later than march i'm gonna have these two pieces come out have you already secured those deals and no no okay um um what i did was i chose to to tell the movie as it was I didn't go and interview Bob, I mean, uh, Bow Wow again, or a journey again. Why didn't you? Because I'd already done it. I interviewed him in the process of making the movie. So it's a nostalgic, it's a nos- very nostalgic piece. And so no updates from the only person whatever is, happened to Bow Wow. <laughs> the only person that is, I'm doing that. So I'm in the piece narrating it through. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And then gotcha. at the end, I say, this is, look at Bow Wow, look at Journey Now, and da-da-da-da, right. blah, blah, blah. Since the our, movies, yeah. Our own black brat pack. So you don't even know where it might end up at. It could uh, end up on any network. I'm expecting or... that I my goal is to make a deal with Disney. 
Okay. And we gotcha. do a whole big deal about it. Gotcha. Right. We gotcha. air the documentaries, but in airing the documentaries, we do a follow up where the actors actually watch the documentaries and then nice. we interview them after. Nice. You know, how Get was it like seeing opinion. yourself? Bow Wow could watch this piece with his daughter. Wow. Nice. You know, yeah. uh, you know, they all have a journey, can watch it with her kids. Mm-hmm. Right. She was 16 years old. She's a movie star. She's a star. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I, I made that choice because I said, one, this is going to be better storytelling because it's already there. Mm. Two, why spend more money? on going out and getting these interviews is going to take longer to get it done. I've got to get Bow Wow's schedule. i got to do all of this. And it just, you know, I, I didn't think we needed to do that. So I, I kept it as authentic as it as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm updating it. And, you know, I'm the one that's telling the story. And then I have Mal, uh, Matthew Knowles. As you know, Matthew did the soundtrack. I don't remember that. Roll Bounce. I'm going to have to go back and look at yeah, the CD. Yeah, Music World did the soundtrack. Wow. And, um, you know, Matthew was one of my original mentors. He was the one to convince me to move to California. Uh, I used to model for him at Headliners in their hair magazines. And um, I would just get, he would just, this Beyonce was 10, you know, 11, whatever. The mm-hmm. girls were young, running around Headliners. And uh, he was talking about his dreams. And I was talking about mine. And he was like, yo, go. And he's the one who, while I was doing my thing, Destiny's Child was doing their thing. Absolutely. And had no idea until he and I reconnected. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, man, I'm doing the the making. He was like, what are you doing? I told him about what I was doing. And he was like, oh, you know I did the soundtrack. You're not going to interview me? (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. You did the soundtrack? How are you going to be my mentor? And we work on the same film, and we don't even know it until years later. So I'm going to have him. He and I are going to be sitting and reflecting at the end. Nice. Right. Just talking about our relationship and how we got here. And um, so now all that music is with Eddie Caldwell and this company called Music of the Sea. Mm-hmm. So I meet Eddie at, at, at Matthew's house. And I tell Eddie about what I'm doing. He's like, you got to use my company. I got all the music you need. And I got the, I got the soundtrack. I was like, what? Because I was like, man, that's what's that made a decision for me because I was going to have to spend money on that. I got to spend money on clips from yeah, the movie yeah, and I've got to spend money on those songs. That's right. And um, I didn't know how I was going to get that done, but I was going to work it out. God is good. <laughs> All right? the time. Delivered <laughs> me the freaking album. Wow. Every song on that album, if I so choose to use it, I can. Right? But I'm using very specific songs from, mm-hmm. the, you know, from the soundtrack. Um, and that's, that's where we are now with it. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm gung-ho to get it done. You have a life that sounds so, you know, it's easy when you hear someone telling their story. It all sounds almost too good to be true. Although there's bad moments in it. You know what I'm saying? But it's, how's this guy bouncing back from all these, like, even at your lowest, you're still bouncing back and you're not stopping. And I'm just curious, why is there never, ever any stoppage or you start looking at yourself and you get down on yourself. I, I, I don't hear any of that in your story. It seems to have been forward movement, even through your worst times, even with, you know, being on crack, it's still forward movement. I don't hear any, it doesn't, I can't hear the, this stopped me right. from achieving. Right. Nowhere in this, I, I've not heard that ever since you've been talking. I, I think that, um, 
Yeah, there are definitely moments where I have, and my wife can tell you the story better than, and my kids could tell you the story better because I get, I get, I have anxiety about, you know, not being busy, mm. or or not doing the things that I know other people are expecting me to do. Mm. I've done some things in Hollywood where other people are going, well, "Where's Dixon? What is he doing?" That is always running in the back of my head, and I think more importantly, you know, having grown up the way I did, and and having had some of the the you know the trials I've had I found a space of passion that I knew that television and film was what I wanted to do with the rest of my life I didn't know how it was going to be but I just knew it and I because of my moves have been driven by my passion and um that's why I don't you don't hear that and you know I just I don't. I don't hear. I've I've ever felt sorry for myself, or I'm not blessed, or I can't hear that in none of your stories. Like, and you're you almost seem amazed at what you're doing. Like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Shit. It, 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 I mean, for I mean, that's the way it sounds to me. Like, you know, I got in my car, I went to California. First, I was making this much. Next week, I'm making this much. This is crazy. I'm living my best life. Yeah. And you and you're enjoying this climb. It it, it just does. I don't hear the. I always. I, Brought into the fact that I was going to have to fall in love with the journey of this mm. and not in my specific accomplishments. And so I want to stay on the journey. Yes, sir. I'm Whatever that means. If that's teaching young people how to make film and television and how to be executives in this industry, specifically teaching at an HBCU, which is what and I where that's doing. And where that swing come from? Because I don't know how, how do you, I'm producing, I'm directing. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm a teacher too. I'm teaching. Well, when the strike happened, and I applied to the PhD program. I got a call from um, um, the, the he was the dean of the school of communication at TSU. At TSU, mm-hmm. um, and he, you know, Doctor Ward, James Ward. He was, hey man, I just need you for a semester. Can you come and teach a class or two for one semester? Talk to my wife about it. I thought it would be a great idea. Because oh, I'm starting my PhD, I can be around other academia, you know, academicians, and and this will be good for me. And one, but you sem- are in California. I'm in California. Okay. Uh, one semester, my wife and I agreed. I could hang out with my my parents and my family and connect, and my wife and kid could come visit or whatever. It, we we thought it would be cool. And then one semester turned into another, <laughs> and then it turned into four years. Yes, sir. And so in 2014. I stopped coming back here because my wife and I got pregnant again, and then I started teaching at the New York Film Academy. Wow. I could not make a film while I was getting my PhD. That was the film. I would, would not have a PhD if I tried to work on movies at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to stay busy, and I wanted to stay active. And so I felt like TSU gave me the opportunity to uh, you know, keep my chops up and discover my purpose. Yes, and my God-given purpose is to teach. And if God wants me here, I want to be in Hollywood. And we figured out a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. Right? He'll so do that. My passion meeting my purpose. Yes, sir. And um, that's, I, that's what the podcast is all about. Purpose and passion. That's it. That's it. And I think that that is what's keeping me moving now. Right? And I have an eight-year-old. I have a three-year-old grandbaby now. My 16-year-old son, you know... I, you know, he, 
you know, growing up in this industry and seeing all of the people that I know and having mm-hmm. access and blah, blah, blah. I don't ever want that to go away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing this podcast, my, my kids are going to love it. You know what's so funny about <laughs> you, though? You, you, you don't carry, I'm a star producer or director or I've done this kind of like on your shoulder. With a lot of people, it's a badge. And as soon as they walk up, you see the badge. You don't carry the badge of, I've made it and done some really cool shit. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? I, you do not care. Like, when you walked up here, because I didn't, for those that don't know, this is completely accidental. He he walked by me. Hey, Hat, I need to get with you. Huh? Brother, I ain't seen you in, right. <laughs> I don't know how right, many right, years. Right, right, right. And I'm like, 14, so I'm not, I'm not expecting to see him. I'm at the university, too. I don't know that you're even here. It's never been a whisper. So I'm completely floored by all of this i'm like i'm not about to let this major director go back and i can't talk to him right you know what i'm saying but it, but you wear you you just don't wear it you're you're 1000 percent the way however i last saw you having many years ago yeah. was you're 1000 percent the same and what happens oftentimes seems to me that people go to these new spaces and they become something different yeah well i think for me my uh, sponsors or mentors, Preston Holmes and Dwight Williams, uh, helped. And Debbie Allen, spending two years with Debbie Allen, helped ground me. Because mm-hmm. uh, she would say, "You ain't shit, <laughs> right? I'm not shit. We're here, living our lives, doing our purpose and our passion, meeting our purpose, and we want to work together and make sure that that continues to happen." We all want to stay in the game. Yes, sir. Um, my my relationship with Debbie, one. So we were we were uh, we were doing the show, and um, Debbie invited me for Thanksgiving because I wasn't going to go home for Thanksgiving, and uh, and my wife, my previous wife, and I we were separated at the time, mm. and they were back in Texas, and I wasn't going home for Thanksgiving because I was going to go home for Christmas. So she invited me over. So her nephew, Bill Bowles, and I got really tight. And we would hang out and uh, as Felicia's son. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, yeah, cool. I get to hang out with Bill. And me and Norm Nixon had gotten tight. Okay. And um, and so I was like, this is this be cool. So I get there. Debbie's cooking and making it happen. And just keeping it, making it feel like, I'm like, I'm at Debbie Allen's house, Norm Nixon's house. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it feels like it's my parents' house. Right, it right. It feels like it, it was a black family. Yeah. It was, no it was cool. Right. So time went on. I got there about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. About 7 p.m. We're all like, when are we going to eat? <laughs> and Debbie kept saying, just wait. Just wait. We have guests coming. And when they get here, that's when we'll sit down and eat. And she didn't tell us who was coming. Doorbell rang. Coretta Scott. And all of her children wow. walk through the door. Wow. What Coretta history. and Vivian, Debbie's mother, were mm. really good friends. Mm. And so it was really about the two of them connecting and having that moment. But the other kids came and uh, we had Thanksgiving dinner. We It was one of the most amazing things. At the time, we didn't have cell phones to take pictures. I wasn't even thinking about taking <laughs> photos. Because you're there, right? You're just, yeah, you're, you're just in that in, moment. In, yeah. in that moment. 
And me and Dexter King, we talked. We connected so much. At about 2 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> everybody else is gone. Me and Dexter in the living room, Debbie has to basically kick us out. <laughs> we go outside. We walk to his car. We keep talking for about another hour. Debbie has to come outside and say, if you don't get from in front of my house, you're right, in Santa right, Monica. Right, 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 right. It's over. You got to go. And so I got my car. Dexter got in his car. We stayed in contact for because he wanted to be a screenwriter as well. And, you know, you know, so again, I could have never, ever imagined that not only was I trying to chase Debbie Allen because I saw her name mm-hmm. on the thing at school or that I left Houston because she was there. Mm-hmm. Had no idea it would translate into a friendship, uh, a relationship. I watched her daughter grow up and, and, and you know, her son thump and watching him do his thing. And, it, you know, some days I feel like that, it's not did that real. really happen? Yeah. Am I really there? You you enjoy it too. That's what I, I I love about you. It's like you just as surprised. Like it's like you're outside of yourself, looking like man, this is crazy. <laughs> it is. And one of the craziest things. So Prince is my favorite artist of all time. When I was in high school, I acted like I was Prince. I wanted to be Prince. I wanted to. Yeah. So I worked on this movie called Something New mm-hmm. with Sanaa Lathan, and the director Sanaa Hamry and I got tight. She had a to pass a, a kidney stone or whatever last week of the movie they would not shut the movie down she had to finish the last week of the movie so we put her in the trailer we put monitors in the trailer and I would be in there massaging her for the pain but watching the monitors with her mm-hmm. and then calling back on the walkie talkie to tell the first AD what to do and to tell the actors so felt like kind of like the last week of the movie I was co-directing yeah and we developed a strong relationship. She was beautiful and she was fine and she respected the fact that I didn't take advantage of her, mm. you know, while massaging her. But I didn't <laughs> take that Did to ex- mean something yeah, else. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah, I got you. Um, and so we're at the premiere of the movie. I'm having a great time. Prince is at the premiere because mm-hmm. they're friends. She got in the game by directing Prince's music videos and stuff like that. She was wow. an editor. Wow. And Prince was in a uh, space where she worked and walked past her, met her, and like, yo, you're going to work for me now. Mm. And so that's kind of how that happened. And then they became best friends and blah, blah, blah. So I had a great time at the premiere. So I'm leaving. I just so happened to be walking out the door at the same time Sanaa Hamry and her boyfriend and Big D, her uh, bodyguard guy, was walking out. And I said, thank you. This was awesome. The movie's going to be great. You know, it's going to do great. She's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. And she was like, did you want to go listen to Prince? He's playing at the, I think it was at the, the Whiskey A Go-Go, or the Roxy, one of those two, mm-hmm. on Sunset. And I go, sure. Yeah, you don't turn so that I down. So I call my wife, tell her I'm not uh, <laughs> coming home right now. I'm going to go watch Prince, and, and it's going to be. So I get to the club. I'm in there. I mean, This is like, Prince is like right where you are. I'm this close, and he's playing the guitar, but he's playing behind a woman it was it was one a female band and you may know this young lady tamar davis i do love her calls herself ashley now right ashley tamar yeah i i love that so tamar 
is doing her thing. His she Prince bad. is playing behind her. She bad. Just making it happen, right? I'm like, I don't know Tamar. I'm just looking at Prince. I'm looking at her. She's dope. The band was dope. Female drummer. Whatever. I was like, oh, man, it's great. I let my wife listen on the phone. She's great, right? <laughs> so at about 2 o'clock, it's over. I'm like, man, that was awesome. I went to thank them, and and they was like, um, well, where are you going now? I said, well, I'm going home. The party's <laughs> over, right? Said, you want to go to 3121? And at the time, I just knew it was the title of an album. It's Prince's Club, right? No, it was his address to his house. Oh, wow. That he had gotten from the basketball player. Yeah, 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 where he yeah, went yeah, in and changed the whole changed house the and made it purple thing, yeah. and so, all that. Yeah, so, yeah, we've heard that so story. So I left my car there <laughs> where it was parked. I said, if it gets towed, it gets towed. Because I don't want to miss this. So I ride with Sanaa and her boyfriend mm-hmm. to go up to the house. It's everything that I thought it would be. Absolutely. We pull out. I get out. I cannot believe I'm walking into Prince's house now. This is this is out of control, Tyrone. This is this is wild. So we get in there, and it's only about 20 of us. And I'm walking around, and we're in a certain area. And I remember Puffy talking about his time being in Prince's house. Mm-hmm. He couldn't believe he was there. He said he took his shoes off and walked around Prince's house with his shoes off and shot pool and all that kind of stuff, right? So I did exactly that. <laughs> I took my shoes off. I beat everybody on the pool table. Uh, uh, and we had to wait for Prince. It was just, we were just there. I'm like, what, what, when, when is the thing gonna happen? And all of a sudden, these beautiful French girls walk in. <laughs> with DJ gear and they walk into this room which is long room the, the purple curtains and uh, the couches on the side it was a very long room and we're all escorted there so we go into the long room and we sit down talking and girls start playing music I've never heard amazing music then Prince comes in and everybody's excited. Everything is moving. I'm talking to Sanai Henry's uh, bodyguard. I'm so excited. <laughs> and and then uh, a lady comes and sits next to me. And she says, what's your name? I said, I'm Tyrone. And she says, what did you do? I said, well, I worked on the movie and I did this and da-da-da-da. Uh, and I said, so what do you do? She said, well, that's my daughter, Tamar, who was singing oh, at the mom, deal. The mom, yeah, yeah, And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, where are you guys from? Hit you with the Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. I said, I'm from Houston. I said, what high school did you go to? She said, Jack Yates. I said, well, I went to Yates. And we like, we lost it. Right? It was just, uh, so I met Tamar. And we couldn't believe it. Three Houstonians in the house. So I'm floored. So I'm sitting there. I just can't believe I'm there. I'm watching Prince dance with Sanaa Hamry. People are dancing. And the man is a small party in the big ass room. So now walks over to me and says, she leans over and says, Prince says, if you don't get up and dance, you're going to have to leave. I heard he does this to people. This is, yeah, 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 yeah. I looked at D and I looked, I said, what? I danced all right, right next to his ass. I did the splits. I did everything he was doing. I was doing. And we had a great friend. You know who else was there? Larry Graham. Larry really? Graham was there. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, Mavis Staples was there. Wow. Um, um, it what was a, a thing. What a party. At 7 in the morning, we're all getting ready to leave. Girls stop playing the music. We're in the foyer. foyer and, you know, some guy brings Prince a computer. Prince sits down at the computer. And 
at first he was just watching us at the top of the stairway, watching Larry kind of hold it down. Larry was, was making a beat and making noises, and Mavis was singing to it, and we were just all like a whole little hold down. It was, it was. I was like, oh, this is freaking amazing. So Prince comes downstairs, sits at this computer, and I go over to Prince and I say, man, thank you for allowing me to be here. He said, man, you were great. You good dancer. And I was like, man, I appreciate that. I said, you roller skate? He said, yeah, I roller skate. I love to roller skate. I said, you should. And I couldn't get you should out really well before he said, I shouldn't do anything. And he giggled <laughs> afterwards. I said, and I think I said, I said, you gotta. I, I just said, you gotta. He said, I don't gotta do anything. Right? I said, no, 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 no. I made a movie called Eight Wilson's from Soul Brother Music and 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 Ro Bounce is coming out and I produced that movie and I would love for you to watch Eight Wilson's from Soul Brother Music. Prince says to me, bring it by the house tomorrow. I may not be here, but drop it off. We leave. I get to my car. My car is still there. It's not towed. <laughs> it's a good night. Now, I'm driving down Sunset, heading east. Sun is rising and I cannot believe it. Haddock. I mean, I'm right. Just that Prince house. I said, I'm going to work with him. It's, it's going to happen. Right. And right when he got his music back, right. Warner Brothers, I was teaching at the New York Film Academy, which is directly across from the old Warner Brothers building. Now it's Warner Brothers television. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife's office is in there. My wife's physical office is where Prince signed his contract mm. in that building. So anyway, I'm like, yeah, he's right there. Uh, they got Prince all over the place because he's made his deal with Warner Brothers. He's got his music back. And we're all, they're all happy-go-lucky. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get to his ass. I'm going to get to him. <laughs> and then he dies. Oh, man. And that was, that was I wow. cried, I boohooed, I cried. It was my, it was my favorite artist. Yeah. Um, but having had that opportunity, you know, I get down on myself sometimes and and because I feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And it takes my wife to just every once in a while remind me. Remember that time we talked on the phone while you were on your way home from Prince's house? And I'd be like, yeah. She's like, you know how many people have had the opportunity to kick it with Prince? Mm. I'm like, yeah, not many people. Like, you really kicked it with him, Tyrone. You danced right next to him in his house. Like, who gets to do that? You know, just just to, like, oh, okay. I guess I'm all right. You know, because I'm not doing the movies Malcolm is doing. Mm. You know, I'm not where Charles is, but I want to be. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, shoot, I've been at this game. This kid comes out and makes uh, Black Panther. He's, you know, you know what I mean? Out of like, here. Like, out so, of here. So all of those types of things come into your space right and and that's what i was asking you about because you never seem down about it so it's, uh it's interesting to hear you say you know every once in a while you know you you get down on yourself like bro we've been doing this for a good little minute you know not that you're comparing yourself to the young cats coming out doing big things but you're like you know i, I feel like there's some moves out there that i should have made actually that's exactly how i feel but it's cool to know that you do have somebody in your life that says Bro, stop tripping. Yeah, because you're because you're 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 way further along. Yeah, 
than a lot of other people. And you, you I always like to tell people, you know, I always say to myself that one's old school song, you got to be thankful for what yeah. you got. Yeah. You got to, you got to Raheem, um, Devon, William Devon, yeah, yeah, yeah. about, yes. about to give it to Raheem, how Raheem. <laughs> but uh, yeah, William Devon, you got to be thankful for what you got because you got probably way more than other people. You've if What you've accomplished I, I is, say is amazing. And now you're at this university and a lot of this stuff inside of you, you have the opportunity. Because sometimes all the great don't happen for you. That's right. You might leave it and your kid get it and next thing you know, your kid is the biggest yeah, whatever or yeah. it might be some kid on this campus right That's now right. that you touch. That's right. And... You know, God forbid, but you may not get to see this human being become that. That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's right. So, you know, you you got to be thankful at all times. But like I said, I don't see that uh, beat up on myself side of you. Uh, and not that you're supposed to wear it, but it, you seem to be very thankful and you move in a very thankful manner. And you always got ideas. And I mean, there's a lot of projects that you're working on that most certainly you can't talk about, obviously. But, you know, you're doing big things and you've accomplished a lot. Even if you stop today, the accomplishments that have been made can never, ever be erased from history. I was reading my CV. I was updating my CV and I had a moment with myself because, again, I don't talk to myself about what I do and what I've done. Mm. And I look at my CV and I go, this, this boy that the, this boy from Third War CUNY yeah, Homes, yeah, yeah, it's it not too bad. Did all of this and is still doing it. That's right? right. I got a book I'm working on. I've got you know I've got to do these things. Um, and I think you got some pretty exciting stuff coming. And I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. None of what we can talk about. <laughs> uh, I understand how it works in Hollywood and. I love this guy, so I can't. But uh, you know what? Your biggest thing probably has not been done yet. And I think some of the stuff that you're doing are things that will touch people that you probably won't ever see big money from. Right. But, man, it will probably change people's lives and help them. Right. That's what my wife says to me all the time because, I, you know, what I will do is be like, yo, I need to make more money. <laughs> and my wife would be like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, I like. Well, I just feel like I, I got. I need to make more money. Oh my, my god! Wife is you like, sound Tyrone, like me. Jeez, you are touching people's lives. Mm. You're doing something that you can't. There's not enough money in the world to to pay you to do. These are the people's. You know, your former students that you have. They they they're having children, buying homes, having careers. You were part of creating that yes sir that's where you get your your, your wealth from yeah 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 you know well sometimes we're looking at it from a uh monetizing numerical standpoint mm -hmm. of what when we look at our bank account yes. what we expect to be in there yes. but sometimes it comes in other forms and yeah you, you just got a, a lot to be thankful for you do and then you know what and then you're doing this one program at the university i want you to say something about that right quick because you're trying to develop this program that you talk, I don't know if you can talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I can, can talk you, about can that you, program. Can, yes. Okay. Oh yeah, definitely. Because um, um, I just think it'll help a lot of people. Because you're in the business, and you don't even realize it. You're in the business. You probably are not super, super there because you keep thinking about what you can do with your passion that is helping people, other people. Yeah. So sometimes there's not the big bucks in that, but there's the big bucket of 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 heart purpose. In that, I don't know how to put, put it in the words. Malcolm X said it best, but by association, 
Yes. Now, I get to have a lot of experiences and opportunities because I'm associated with folk. Absolutely. And and that is huge. Yes, sir. Like I'm hanging out with and I started saying this because I'm hanging out with Matthew a lot more and, you know, he's got plenty of money. So I <laughs> I'm like I, I you know, I wanna be able to, you know, really, really hang out. But but I, I'm with you on that. I mean I, I really feel like the young people that I connect with here keep me grounded and keep me honest. And um and I was so happy to hear you come to the school. Well, thank you. Because I said, now that's what we need is somebody that the young folks. But I really want to do things. And sometimes uh, there's already a um, there's already a mechanism in place as to how things work. Yeah. And probably like you, because I know you're the type of person you like to shake sh- up. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out how can I really. How can I really serve my purpose here yeah. uh, and, and shake some stuff up and change some lives and, and, and see some young folks do some incredible things? And, and I think that's what that's what this, that's that's what you do. So I thank you for saying that about me. But I'm still trying to figure out how I can do that within the, con, you know, the walls that I'm in. Well, I think the podcast is one of those things and, and having people like myself share like this project that I'm working on with TSU right now mm-hmm. is called. Um, it is a uh, production payroll accounting certificate program. Mm-hmm. Uh, cast and crew and entertainment partners are two of the leading uh, companies, finance companies that work with television and film and all entertainment, actually. But you want to pay people through them, mm-hmm. right? So uh, when I started off as an accountant, I developed relationships with these people. I cast and crew and entertainment partners and that's kind of how I got into my space so my wife went to Howard studied accounting and she wanted to work for Warner Brothers Television that's what she's been doing for the past 25 years mm. uh, she would leave and quit they call her back right? <laughs> I mean it was just an amazing thing to see so I've been around this space and so we're seeing that there's a shortage we, there's a shortage of uh, production accounts there's a shortage of ADs there's a shortage of production managers especially when it comes to people of color mm. So, again, but by association, now she works with these companies. They're all trying to buy for more of Warner Brothers business, and she's Absolutely. the person they got to talk to. Mm-hmm. And so I would go to these basketball games, baseball games, and these people would be interested in me. We understand you're a filmmaker, and, a, you know, what else do you do? And <laughs> tell us about the teaching thing. Tell us about your PhD. And, and so I <laughs> do all of that, and I said, well, you know, one of the things I'm working on is I would love to see this happen. So I pitched the idea to the vice president of these companies and the president of these companies. They were like, oh, yeah, we love it. And because they they don't know how to reach the people. Mm. And I'm saying, let's do this. We'll do it virtually. 16-week program. Uh, people are going to learn how to do payroll accounting. Going to be a payroll clerk and make $2,000 a week starting. For movies. For movies and television. Wow. And you can do it from wherever you are. Wow. Because it's all automated. It's all digital today, and there's no paper no, trail. No, hold on, man. Note to self. Go back to school. <laughs> on this program. Cool. All right. Now go ahead. <laughs> so, um, so Dr. Tanisha Taylor received a melon grant. Uh, it's a big deal. It's a $3 million mm-hmm. melon grant. Okay. And 750000 of it came to our school. 
And she's starting a center for Africana futures. It's all about black digital humanities, having a space where our history is stored as research material. Mm. Um, you know, it's not just documented, documented for documentation's sake, but it, it's there for a pool of researchers to use. That's right. Um, for future stuff. Mm-hmm. And she, that's how I got the Barbara Jordan project off the ground. She gave me an initial uh, grant to start the research process mm-hmm. that we would share with the with the center and that research is going to help me get the movie made. Gotcha. Right. So now we're running the payroll production certificate program um, through the center mm-hmm. and um, we've spoken with both cast and crew and 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 entertainment partners. Uh, we're getting ready to do a, a memorandum of understanding and uh, it's going to start in March. And can, people, um, they, can they apply for this? Yes, or? there's going to be uh, the Africana, the Center for Africana Futures has a website. Uh, if you go to the TSU's website and go to School of Communication, you will see the website for this um, center. Okay. And all of the information about signing up for this program will be on that website. What is it again? Uh, uh, just, the Center for Africana Futures. Mm-hmm. And, but they can go through the T. Do you know the TSU? Uh, I don't know. It's TSU.edu and then you and then it'll go to school of communication. Boom, a whole new thing will pop up on the school of communication. Okay. And then you will see a tab to click on for the Center mm-hmm. for Africana Futures. And then they can apply there. And then they can apply there. Okay. We're looking to get this thing up and running and started in March. Uh, so, so they need to hurry and jump it's on a pilot it's program. Okay. Um, it's a, there's a cost to it. Uh, we think it twenty five hundred to three thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars, and um, some people are going to be able to get scholarships. Uh, we're getting sponsors to help Absolutely. make that happen. Mm-hmm. And our goal is to duplicate this, or replicate it rather, at every other HBCU in the country. Nice. So that there's a portal of opportunity for people of color. Uh, to work in these executive ranks or in these finance spaces mm-hmm. in the television and film industry. And the very first thing you got to know how to do is learn payroll like I did. Gotcha. I like it, man. You know what I mean? So, so y'all go TSU, uh, I want to say .edu. Yeah, TSU.edu. Yeah. And then they have all of the schools listed. You click on the School of Communication. And then on that page, you'll see a link to the... Uh, Center for Africana Futures mm-hmm. and that's where all the information is. Dr. Dixon, I, I, first I appreciate your time but before I let you go this is going to probably be the dumbest question <laughs> but I, I just got to understand it. at the beginning of movies there's always like it's this is a such and such film then it goes to another guy or whoever it's a film by this person and then it might even be a third screen that comes up. Why it like whose film is the film? Actually, oh, you know, that's you a just very good question uh, because you know, say so. So, I'll give you a really good example. Thank you. Um, with Roll Bounce, mm-hmm. State Street is its own company. Okay, and it is the company that developed the project for 20th Century Fox. They have two companies underneath the big umbrella of 20th Century Fox: Fox Searchlight and Fox 2000. These are separate entities. Fox Searchlight distributes the projects. Okay. Fox 2000 produces the projects. <laughs> okay. Uh, 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 State Street produces as well as develop the projects. Okay. And so when the movie opens up, you're going to see State Street Pictures. 
Box 2000. So how do I determine when I see this? I know this is dumb, and I'm sorry, y'all, but every time I see movies, I just want to know, whose movie is it? Is it this one guy who had the idea for the movie? He took it there, so it's a Dr. Tyrone Dixon film. Well, well, a lot but, of times you'll say, it'll say, uh, this is a a Tyrone D. Dixon film. But that means that I'm the director, and I'm, 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 you I have the ownership idea to it. Right. Other times it'll say, directed by. Right. That means I was hired. Right. To Absolutely. direct. Absolutely. Right. Um, other times you'll see it say produced by. That's usually the creative producer. That's the one who. So for Roll Balance, it said produced by Bob Title and George Tillman. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it was their company that said, hey, guys, let's make this movie. And the money people or person is executive producer. That's right. Now, can you be an executive producer on these movies and not even spend a dime? You just might get executive producer. Well, on studios, that's how it happens. So okay. they will assign an executive to be in charge of making sure that that they're film the ones gets, that thought that this was a hot right, movie. Right, so. right. So, so, so uh, you get executive producer credit because you represent the money people. Line producers get executive producer credit because they manage the money. Right. Because right. I've seen some movies and there are like eight. To nine executive producers. That was executives from studios. Um, uh, the studio was giving them the money, but these are executives that work at the studio or that works for this independent production entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and their job is to go out and get the movie greenlit, mm-hmm. find money. And if you can find money, you're an executive producer. <laughs> if you provide money, you're an executive producer. So what side? If you manage the money, uh-huh. you're an executive producer. What side is the best side to be on? Uh, you want to be the development person. You want to be the one who makes the project. You want to be State Street. You want to be Macro. Okay. Right? So Macro has a deal with Warner Brothers and has a a television deal with Warner Brothers. Uh, But Warner Brothers is acting as their distributor. But but if I'm Macro, so to speak, I, I own it. You own it. Okay. Well, you 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 control the the master, exactly. That's what I, now, that's what I want. I want now that. that's when what I it want. goes into distribution. Warner Brothers gets control of that master for ten years, and if gonna, that's the deal that we that's enter. the deal we make. Yeah, and yeah. then at the end of that ten year period, the movie comes back. It reverts to the back. That's what happened with 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 John Singleton and Hustle and Flow, which is a movie I participated in. Um, he made that movie for three million dollars or three point two million dollars of his own money mm-hmm. and took it to Sundance, sold that movie as the highest selling movie at the time mm-hmm. for any other movie in the history of Sundance, sold it for $11, $12 million to Paramount. Now Paramount owns the movie now, right? They own the that. license to the movie mm-hmm. for 10 years. That was a while ago. Right. So Hustle right. Flow came back to John Wow. and now he manages where it gets aired and all of the money comes directly to him. So well, Hulu be, wants, it, it would be his because you said Johnson. So it would be his estate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Right. So Hulu wants if they want the film, they got to pay for it. They got to pay a licensing fee for a period of time, and they will have it. And then when they're done with it, they send it back, and then they will go to HBO. Bro, and it this, just goes on and ooh, on man, this, and on. This Hollywood and on. Mo- movie money just make me scratch, man. That's how, <laughs> that's why you want to be in that ownership. That's why I want to be yes, sir. like um, uh, a Charles King, mm. or like Bob and George. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They can go out there and get movies made and actually create a library for themselves and their legacy moving forward. They're not 
people hired freelancers. They are owners of what it is that they're doing. And that's my goal. That's my goal to be that person that's managing, you know, the master. Absolutely. What's what's your project that you got on the table that you can at least say, look for this in the coming year? Um, uh, uh, Hardwood Classic, The Making of Roll Bounce. It's okay. a retrospective. Okay. It's a two-part docuseries. That's coming out. Okay. Uh, February, March. Um, I'm in development slash production on the Barbara Jordan piece and the Emory Douglas piece. Um, I optioned a screenplay, I optioned a book called The Trials of Ewer Brown. One of my colleagues, Dr. Michael Berry, who wrote this book, mm-hmm. true story about this brother uh, who killed the warden and the warden's foreign manager uh, at a Huntsville prison in self-defense. And then Craig Washington, big time lawyer, graduated from TSU's law school, had to come in and and be his defense attorney and save this man's life. Wow. So it was a book about that. Um, and so I did a documentary about it, submitted to a couple of festivals. We won big awards. And then I convinced the writer to allow me to start writing a screenplay. Um, and so we have the screenplay based on that. Um, so I'm putting that out in the world, right? Um, <laughs> and and then my big project that I was working on was it's called Scouts. The Chronicles of Troop 242. It's a coming-of-age comedy, you know, kind of like Road Bounce, about a black Boy Scout troop based on Will Avenue's uh, Boy Scout troop, Troop 242. They created more black Eagle Scouts than any other troop in the nation. Wow. And I wanted to tell that story. And I wanted to tell it in a funny way, but I wanted to pay homage to scouting in a big way. I got you. That movie was greenlit just before the pandemic. We had a film fund to put up the money, to agree to put up the money. We said, okay, two weeks, this is going to last two weeks. And they said, oh, it's only going to last two months. And then after a while, we just, we can't do this. They had to move that money around. And so now um, the agent that I'm working with has a relationship with um, uh, Denzel's, Denzel Washington's agent. And he pitched him the idea. He said, I think Denzel would like this. And so I'm just waiting right now to see if Denzel Fingers likes crossed. the movie. If he likes it, then we'll probably get that movie made with Denzel attached. Mm, when nice. I, I had, I had, um, 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 uh, oh man, oh shoot, um, Lethal Weapon. Dan- Danny Glover. Danny Glover. I had Danny Glover attached for a minute. Mm. Um, he was going to make the movie originally with me. Um, and Loretta Devine and wow. that's really cool people. And then, you know, it, it, it I think Miss Devine is from here too. Yeah, she is. That's okay. one of the reasons why she wanted to do the movie. Gotcha. gotcha she gotcha, knew gotcha. all about Will Avenue and okay. all of that kind of yeah. jazz. And so, um, you know, you can't, so, pick, you can't pick those people back up again. You I can't. Okay. But okay. it's taking on a new life now. Yeah. So now you, 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 you kind of, kind of go with the flow. Yeah. And, um, but those are the projects that I have working on, you know, that I'm consistently working on. Um, and still being a professor. Yeah, and, uh, and teaching. I teach virtually. It's a hybrid thing. Mm-hmm. So when I'm here, I teach in class. When I'm away, I teach virtually. What that does, it allows me to bring in other people. Yeah. I'm able to share the people that I have in L.A. And you do. You do. And, you and, do. Uh, and, and I, think that that's, I think that's one of the greatest values of me having the opportunity to be this flexible. Mm. Is because my goal is to be that bridge from TSU to Hollywood. Gotcha. Uh, not be the bridge, but participate in creating yeah, and developing and maintaining that bridge. Absolutely. Um, 
so yeah, that's that's. I know you're a teacher here, and people, if if they really want to get in contact with you, they should just take your class. But <laughs> if they can't take your class, can people, you know, you know, follow yeah. you on social media? I don't know if you do yeah, social I'm media. On social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as uh, Tyrone D. Dixon, Ph.D., and I'm on uh, TikTok as Eight Wheels and some sort of other music. What you doing on TikTok? I post and roller skating stuff. Really? Okay. okay. Getting everything body prepared for. Um, oh, and the last project, which is the most recent thing. Oh man, I forgot to tell you about this. But I'm doing a TV show. Mm-hmm. It's a docu series um, called Hot Skates: The Skate Groove Tour. It is a competition show, mm-hmm. kind of like the N One uh, mixtape tour mm-hmm. where you put these dope street basketball players on the bus and you're traveling around the city to city to compete against that city's best. Well, that's what we're going to do with roller skaters. Okay. We're going to find the 10 best roller skaters in the country and travel them around the country to compete against other cities best. And we'll see who survives the bus. And if they can stay on the bus at the end, they get to compete in, uh, internationally, like in, uh, Africa or, um, um, Italy or whatever mm-hmm. and so I have a big meeting with I guess he's one of the top five guys in uh, in reality TV mm-hmm. uh, Mike Darnell uh, at Warner Brothers uh, Warner Brothers Horizon right? Warner, Warner, Warner Brothers Discovery whatever it is now good luck brother they love the idea now I gotta go in and knock it out the park so we're excited I have a great deck lookbook thing and a sizzle reel and I've got all of these connections, and um, so we'll see what happens, man. There's other people out there wanting to do the same thing. Mm. So I'm in. Can, let me just. Read. Malcolm Lee is attached to somebody's show that they're trying to do mm-hmm. about roller skating. <laughs> so I said, "What?" So I sent Malcolm Lee a message, and he said, "Oh, I, I don't keep up with all of that. I did agree, you know, to be attached to something, but I don't know much about it." I said, well, I'm doing my thing. And he says, well, you do your thing, and I'm going to help you get your, I'm going to do your thing, too. Okay. Um, and I said, well, that's fine. I'm, you know, he was like, when is, he's excited about the making of Road Bounce to come out. Um, he doesn't, I post stuff, he doesn't always, you know, respond to stuff I post. But when I posted the trailer for the making of Road Bounce, mm-hmm. he liked that shit. <laughs> Well, you know, he, you know, he's watching this. Yeah, you know, he's watching. He's not far I, away, man. He's not, and um, um, I really do appreciate everything that he did for me, and um, I'm very proud of him. I mean, his boys—they were little boys. They were one, and and they could barely walk, mm-hmm. right? When he was making the movie, and now seeing his kids getting ready to go to college and. You know, I knew hanging around him and his sons that I was going to have a son. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> Doc, you know what, man? man you're, you're absolutely outstanding. You've done tremendous work. I don't ever want you to think that you haven't. I think everyone, even the richest man in the world, always thinks, what can I do to achieve more? I think yeah. it's human nature. Yeah. And we battle Agreed. it. Every single day. It's good to have somebody in your ear, though, to remind you whom you are and what you've come from. Yes. uh, And to enjoy the moment. Because sometimes we're in this place, and I'm speaking not just for you, but for me, too. You're in this place, and you just got to look around and be like, wow, this this is all right. Quit tripping. Yeah. And, And it could always be worse. 
could always. And if be this yours. is what your if this is what your best will ever be, you won. Yeah. Thank you, you for that, man. You absolutely won, Doctor. So I just want to say that. that I appreciate your time. I know you got tons of stuff here. I know why you're really here in the city because you know you got a parent that you take care of, but you etched away a little bit of time for me. You just don't really know how much I really appreciate it. I wanted you to be able to sit here and tell these fantastic stories that I learned so much listening to you, <laughs> and I'm in, and, I'm, and I'm inspired, man. And this is totally this is totally selfish. This podcast that I do, yeah, because I want to learn and, and 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 be in an environment with people that help me grow and be a better human being. It's all about purpose and passion. And got to ask you just before I even let you finish, success. To Dr. Tyrone Dixon, producer, director, extraordinaire, writer, et cetera, et cetera, so many things. What is that to you? What is success to you? You know, uh, creating opportunity for other people. I realize that that's my thing. Connecting dots. If I can help you get down the road, I believe in reciprocity. Yes, sir. Um, that that whether it comes from you. It's going to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. But as long as I do my job to make sure I can connect the dot. Um, one of my greatest mentors, Mr. Danny Lawson, may he rest in peace, would always say that wealth is about you having an opportunity to create an opportunity for somebody else. Mm. Because I may not be able to give you the money in my pocket, but I can connect you to somebody that can help put some money in your pocket. Mm. If I can't do it, then somebody else can, and I want to be a part of that process of making the connections. And being here at TSU has allowed me to to do that, and it's amazing I do it in, in L.A. I got Charles Wright on the radio. <laughs> I was moved by that, man, and I hate to say this. I thought that Charles Wright had passed away. For those that don't know, uh, uh, express yourself. Yeah. That is that Charles Wright, who's about what 82, 83? 82, 83 Still years alive, old. still kicking, still performing. I still performing. I know I you just did a video video, video for him, for him uh, with roller skaters in it because yeah, I know yeah, that's your thing yeah, and you love it. But it's great to know that he is still alive and kicking, still prosperous, and that was exciting to hear. And then it's cool because even with him, you're a connector. I don't even, you don't even pay me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But you're a connector, man. So I want you to know, man, your wealth is in your ability to do the things that you're doing. And your, your spirit is wealthy. You know, you may not, you may look in your bank account sometimes and be like, man, this don't equal out to to this work I didn't put into life. But man, the, the, the energy that you put out there, I can tell, man, you, you're, you're passionate about everything that you do. You're passionate about these kids and passing on knowledge and stuff like that. Man, that, it's wealth that you can't even see, bro. And I just, I really, really want you to know that, man. It's your wealth, you, you, and some of it you will never see. You won't even know that it was, it's going to be some kid years from now. And it's going to be this one kid probably in the back that you didn't even know touched. Yeah. And there's probably a lot of human beings that you touched. You won't even know. But you did. That's so right. I just want you to know you you are putting that energy out there and and. I'm I'm happy for the energy you just gave to me, man. I'm so filled with energy now. I feel like, you know what? I'm going to go out there and make some things happen today. Yeah, yeah. So I just want you to know that, man. And, and again, man, I just appreciate your time and for you to sit down and be able to spread this knowledge. I bet people, when they see this, it was all the stories that you told was so great. And my products mind blowing stuff. You said that he what? <laughs> I didn't know that. So again, I appreciate you, Dr. Dixon. Uh, and man, continue success and your wealth 
you already have it. I just want you to know that. Oh, man, I appreciate that very much coming from you. And um, again, I thank you for being here. Thank you. I think there's that there are no coincidences that you and I are here together. And um, we're going to we're going to we're going to shake some things up. Like the president says, we're going to be disruptive. Yes, sir. And get into some good trouble <laughs> and, and, and make some change, some some change. that yes, we sir. can spend, Yeah. And some change that we can share. That's so right. That's right. You keep doing what you're doing, brother. Yes, thank sir. you for having me on your show. Thank you. Salute, sir. My man. Oh, that was cool. That was cool. You tell some stories.